Well, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And we're super excited that you have uh, taken the time, made this space to join with us this morning. And whether you are here in person, which we are delighted you are, or you are at home uh, connecting with us remotely, which we are delighted that you are also, I hope you hear that however you're connecting, we're delighted. Um, we are really thankful for you and your presence with us. Uh, if you are connecting remotely, we do want to let you know that although there are a lot of options, there's one that we recommend. It's our online platform at www.onelifeseattle.org backslash live. And the reason why we like that is it's got a whole bunch of extras there, our digital connection card, access to the online prayer team, Bible tab, notes, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but uh, the important thing is that you're connected, so however it works for you best, uh, please do that. So with that, let's, uh, let's pray. God, we give you uh, great thanks for this day and for your presence with us. We ask that you would connect us wherever we're at, um, that we would know your presence, Holy Spirit, we would be able to keep in step with you uh, as we move through our days uh, together. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I have to say I'm having a little bit of a personal dilemma. I have two potential opening things, and I'm really struggling. And so I'm actually going to ask you uh, just a show of hands. One is uh, connected to uh, a time in my life where I was into punk rock music, and the other one is connected to Bob Ross. If you would like punk rock music, raise your hand. If you want Bob Ross, raise your hand. Okay, so I'm going to have to connect with the Bob Ross folks at some other time and, and fill you in on that. Um, Bob Ross is awesome. But, um, so when I was younger, I enjoyed uh, punk music, and I wasn't sure if it was so much the music or I really, liked, uh, I really liked mosh pits. If you don't know what a mosh pit is, it's when you go to a punk show, there's this space kind of down in the front and center where everyone is just slamming into each other. Um, I played football, do martial arts. I love physical contact that way, and it had some of my favorite music in it too. So, it was, and my friends were there, so it was kind of a lot of my favorite things put together. But um, in the '80s, there was a movement that arose out of the punk rock scene, and it was called the Straight Edge Movement. Some of you may have heard of this, and what it was was um, some people realized, you know what? Uh, this this whole punk rock thing—it's really a rebellion against the established system, and so. Um, but there's a lot of things we're doing in this scene that don't, don't help us actually be good rebels. Um, and so if we really want to focus on uh, battling the system, then we should not be drunk. We should not be doing drugs because those things are making us not have uh, good judgment. And so it was this movement that was like, we want to clean that stuff up, called it the straight edge movement. Um, when it first started, one of the things about it that was so interesting is even though they had kind of these internal rules, they didn't enforce them. It was more an invitation. Like if you wanted to come and join, you could come and join. And as you sort of gained experience, you could kind of decide how you wanted to do that. Um, later on, there was kind of a second wave of the movement where it involved um, <clears throat> uh, some heavy metal bands uh, that started getting involved with it too. But something changed in that, and it wasn't just because of the heavy metal bands coming in, it was more the change that I think facilitated the metal bands coming in, was that um, there became a, a sort of focus on, now we have to obey these rules. Um, and it started to become a thing where it was, you can't be part of the straight edge movement if you're not obeying these rules. 
and so uh, the way it was actually described was it was about it became about power and it became about control um, and so then there were all of a sudden all these offshoots that came out of that because this one group had started and kind of had this really interesting start where it felt very organic and um, and, and it wasn't rules based although there were guides and stuff in there but you could kind of participate how you wanted but then it became this really clear like no and it became this really forceful thing and as um and then the group for the most part dissolved uh into uh some really not great uh groups off of that 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 really got off track from where the original group started and i bring this up because as we talk about the law and and the stuff we're talking about with paul I feel like there's a similar thing, and we're going to talk specifically about one moment today where it really did become about power and control, this idea of the law and how, uh, how they were using that. But I, I just as, we were, as I was talking about this and thinking about it through the week, that for some reason came up into my mind, and I was like, oh, I remember some of that happening and, and had friends who were really involved in that scene, and uh, some of the changes they went through and the things they experienced were really harsh in terms of how they were treated. And so... I just think as we're going into this, Paul's going to be talking about this a lot, and it's helpful for us to have in mind, um, especially in the section we're looking at today, um, just some ideas about power and what people do with power um, when, when they get it and when they don't. So with that, um, this is our second to the last uh, sermon in our sermon series uh, for the summer that is called Gospel Culture, where we've been exploring this letter. Uh, it's entitled Galatians because it was written by one of the early church leaders, this apostle named Paul, um, who uh, wrote to these churches he had planted in, um, in Galatia. Um, the other thing I want us to have in our brains, besides the kind of idea of power and how it gets used, is who Paul was. And we've done this quite a bit when we've gone through this series, but I think it's helpful, and today I'm really gonna key in on this. Some of the, the key aspects of Paul's identity are gonna really influence where he's going, and so I just wanna remind us uh, who Paul is. Uh, so he's an apostle, but he started out as this guy named Saul. His name, uh, he actually had two names, one uh, Roman and one Jewish, um, and so uh, he starts off Saul of Tarsus, uh, and then he's a Pharisee, and what that means is that he is a, a member of this group of people that are religious leaders uh, of the time, and uh, they arose out of this space where um, the, the Israel had been under oppression, uh, really bad uh, things happening, and they, this revolt happened, the, the Maccabean revolt, and they regained the, the temple um, from under Greek um, under Greek oppression. And so they reestablished this, this kingdom and the, the, the new uh, political powers started off kind of okay, but then they started shifting again to this, they started getting a taste of power and they started doing things that weren't so great and, so, uh, and getting away from the Torah. And so out of that time, in response to that, this group called the Pharisees arose to try to get Israel back on track. And so their way of doing that was to really say the Torah is this thing that we have to hold to. Like we can't, we can't make any exceptions with this. And so that was their focus. That was where they put everything. And it became not only their, their system for staying in connection and on track with God, but it was also how they showed the rest of the world who they were. It became part of their national identity. Because they also believed that they were God's chosen people, right? And that they're to be a blessing to all nations. But in order to, to, to do that, they had to figure out a way to show everyone who they were. 
The problem is, is when you're in and out of exile and under oppressive rule of other nations, it becomes really difficult to keep thinking about that blessing part. Um, And so at some point for Israel, the Torah, the law, this guide became more of a way to uh, control people both inside uh, Israel and outside. You need to know who we are and how we're gonna deal with you. Um, And so it just became uh, this, this, difficult system for them. And so Paul was part of this group. He was a Pharisee. Um, now we also read that he was kind of the head of his class, so to speak. He, was, uh, he notes that he was ahead of all his peers uh, in, in what he was doing. And so, um, and we actually see this because he uh, is persecuting, persecuting Christ followers. And at one point he's overseeing the execution of one of the early church leaders, this person named Stephen. Um, and it says he approves of it, but it also says that people there were laying their coats down on the ground for Paul to walk on. And so you kind of have this idea about that Paul as this young man has this kind of status to him, not just as a Pharisee, but really um, someone who is, uh, is really highly um, esteemed. Now, um, he does have uh, this encounter uh, with the risen Christ that uh, completely uh, undoes his, uh, his understanding of things, his worldview, his belief system, um, and he ends up becoming a follower of Jesus uh, in that process. And the story goes that um, he's knocked down. Jesus says, uh, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you... Um, why are you persecuting me? And he says, I don't even know who you are. And he says, I'm Jesus. And, and, and this conversation goes on, and then Paul is blinded. Uh, he gets uh, healed by this guy, and it says that scales fell off of um, Paul's eyes, and then he begins to follow Jesus. Uh, and then later, as I mentioned, he becomes a leader in the early church, but also is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And I want that phrase to really stick with us because that's going to be super important as we um, continue through this. And because we actually catch up with uh, Paul uh, some 15 years uh, later after, um, after his encounter with Jesus. And again, he's written this letter to a group of churches in southern Galatia, what we now call modern-day Turkey, um, for a really specific reason that some Jewish Christians have come into Galatia, and they, um, we're not quite sure, but it seems very likely that they came from a church in Jerusalem. Uh, and they've been in Galatia, and what they're telling the Jesus followers there is, hey, Paul's great. I know he came and told you this stuff, but he left some crucial stuff out, and uh, you really kind of need to listen to us. And what they've said is that, that you have to, um, even though you have faith in Jesus, that's great, but, but really to kind of really be right with God, you have to add in the Torah stuff again. You have to, we have to get that in there and you have to be obeying Torah and following Torah. Uh, and specifically, the discussion is around circumcision and then some specific food laws, who you can eat with and who you can't based on uh, their ethnicity. If they are Gentiles, then Jewish people are not supposed to eat with them uh, because they're, they're seen as unclean because of all the idols uh, that they worship. And so that's kind of what's going on. And Paul is super concerned about this because it's not just that the, the Jesus followers in Galatia are getting some uh, incorrect information, but Paul says it's, it's not even just a distortion of the gospel, but it's a false gospel, right? And so that's what we've been exploring. That's kind of the context of what we've been looking at. Um, and, uh, and this is where we see that the law became for this group this thing of power and control. It's being used to manipulate and coerce people, right? If you want to eat with us, then you got to do this stuff, 
right? And there's a sense of they come in and say that as, and we're kind of superior to you, right? We were the ones really in the know, and if you want to hang out with this crowd, then you got to do the stuff we have to do. That's the way you belong. And Paul even says in chapter 4 that the reasons that these, uh, this group is zealous for them is that they want to alienate the Galatian group from Paul and they want the Galatians to be zealous for them. They want them to be excited for them. They want them to think highly and esteem them. They want them to be big fans of them. And so Paul is working against all this and that gets us caught up basically to where we're at today. So we're gonna be looking at Galatians 5, 13 through 26. If you have your Bible, you can open it up, follow along. If you're watching remote, you can go to the Bible tab on our online platform, read along there. The verses will be up on the screen wherever you're at, or you can just sit and listen. You have so many good options. Um, but we're in Galatians 5, 13 through 26, and let's read that. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, um, there's so much happening in there, um, but I want to sort of look back at last week just for a brief second because Rich did a fantastic job of taking us through the first half of this chapter and what he pointed out was that there are three ways that God wants us to be freed and the first is individually so we can be who God designed us to be. Then there's socially so that all can see the glory of God. Paul always has both this inward and outward kind of very holistic understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower and how that impacts both the individual and the larger community. And then psychologically, so that we can relate to God and others clearly and authentically. Now, what I want to build off, off this list the, is this phrase, so that. It's, it's in each one of the items. And um, it's important because Paul does start off by saying that we have been called to freedom, right? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, and so Paul is saying that Jesus' followers have been set free, free from the law, which was God-given and had a good purpose, but's now being used to control and give power to certain people and take it from others, free from our own hearts that turn from God, and free from the consequential separation that occurs. But if we are free from the law, which was this guideline, and we're free, does that mean we're free to do whatever we want? Yes, absolutely we are. 
We're completely free to do whatever we want. And that's why Paul follows up with the next thing he says, which is, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. If we weren't free to do whatever we want, there would be no need for Paul to give a warning. Right? But freedom, this absolute freedom, is a necessary step in order for us to participate with and choose to follow Jesus. Living in the Spirit to do the good things that God has created for us to do. But there's also the chance that we won't do that, that we'll indulge the flesh. And so he warns us, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now, for those of us who don't always think of Paul as a very lovey kind of person or love-oriented person, you should stick in Galatians because it comes up a handful of times. And one of the places it's so clear is last week when Rich preached again. It's in 5.6 and it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And what Paul's getting at in all this so far is that once a person is set free by Jesus, where a person can do anything they want in that freedom, there's a choice that has to be made. And he's saying, don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh. And when Paul says flesh or sinful nature, he's giving autonomy to that which in, in, in humanity stands against God, that's bent against God, where we try to do things on our own and also where we try to earn God's love and God's favor in order to manipulate God. And you're gonna be hearing that word manipulate come up a lot because it's really behind a lot of the things that's going on. Because you try to manipulate when you have power. And so it's that same space, that same flesh and the desires of the flesh that are being lived out in the divisions between the Galatians, that all the attempts to manipulate and gain power, to control and coerce, are all sinful and desires of the flesh. And trying to go back under the law, Paul says, would be the same thing. But notice Paul doesn't say you need to abandon the law. He says, no, no, but if you really want the law, it's fulfilled in love. And Paul's got this uh, thing he's doing. And in fact, he's going to say that love is so important that some of you are trying, you're trying to put people under and control people with, with the law. It's, it's, it's run its course. But Jesus fulfilled it in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And that's where he gets back to, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he moves on in verse 15, functions. He, and I'm going to show you in a minute, he's got these statements and counterstatements. But he, verse 15 functions as a counterstatement to the love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's Paul's way of saying, look, I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to and what's happening here. And it's not love. And he's using it to set up the rest of his uh, sort of description of what's happening in Galatians. Because what he describes is that they're biting and devouring each other. And that it will destroy them. I think this is one of the ways that we see that either the, the Jewish Christians that were, were there influencing the Galatians are still there or they've won some people over in that group and that group is there representing them because Paul is speaking now to the whole group, including the ones who are delivering the false gospel. They're biting and devouring each other, literally destroying each other. 
Some scholars believe that this conflict in the language like this represents that there has been a violence that has occurred. Um, and most believe that uh, if it hasn't, it, uh, it's certainly a threat um, that, it, that it could. Um, and so against all this, Paul's going to say, you're called to freedom. Right? And this is kind of the Galatian context. But he's going to say, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Instead, serve one another humbly in love. Now he's going to move, he kind of moves in this back and forth way, but it's not directly back and forth. Because then he's going to say the way you do that is you love your neighbor as yourself. Instead, you're biting, devouring, and destroying each other. And so he's going to say, instead, you need to live in the spirit. And then you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature, the flesh. For the sinful nature, and he goes into this, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And he's describing the internal conflict that we have. Describing this reality where we, we know sometimes, ah, I don't wanna do that. I even know I'm not supposed to do that. I even know that that's not good, but it, then I just did it. And under the law, we stand condemned. He starts talking about grace, where there's freedom to move in a new direction. And this section is really difficult because some people have, have pulled things out of it like, well, if I have the Holy Spirit, then I won't have sinful desires anymore. Or if a person is being led by the Spirit, they, they won't sin or do things that are uh, opposed to God. And therefore, if I'm being led in the Spirit, then whatever I'm doing must be the right thing, right? But Paul doesn't say any of that. In fact, the section seems to indicate how difficult, difficult it'll be. He says the desires of the sinful nature, they're not gonna go away, they just won't be gratified. So they'll still be there, they just won't be satisfied. He says that we are beings in conflict. That's the nature of freedom, though. Where we have the ability to choose. Last week in the, in the live chat, um, Laren said it really well when I asked the, the question about what is freedom. She said it's the ability to choose who or what you're going to follow. And Paul wants us to know when we're in this situation how serious the internal dynamics of who we are as people and what we've been through and what we've experienced and all those things that influence that, what, what we bring to that moment when we're deciding what it means to be free. And he says that followers of Christ led by the Holy Spirit are not under the law but under grace. If we look at another letter that Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians in chapter 8, verse 9, he says this about grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And hopefully now you're starting to feel that that so that moment come back. If we are set free from the law and from ourselves, the part of us that's bent against God, and we can do whatever we want, Paul's saying, don't go back to that stuff. But then what? Paul says love, and we say, okay, great, but I need something a little more specific, Paul. I'm not, I'm not quite up with you. And Paul says, don't worry, I've got you covered. And so he identifies these two kinds of life, life by the sinful nature and life in the spirit. 
And I want to give a quick warning that these are not exhaustive lists of everything that is good and everything that is bad, but these lists arised, arised, geez, arose out of the actual situation that's happening in Galatia. They have a context that Paul's involved in, and so we do best to keep them there to discover what they really mean to that original group, so then we can find out what they really mean to us. And so we're finding that Paul's going to use some generalized teaching to... um, sort of frame some very specific things that are happening. And so it's sort of a way of introing some topics that are connected to the main ones he's gonna get at, and he's got a couple at the end that are kind of like, they're bookends to this middle section that he is really getting at. And, And it's really that there's this destruction, there's this division occurring among the people. And for Paul, it's the destruction of this new humanity. This humanity that God has created where Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, they're no longer dividing lines, but instead all are brought up, all are made equal in the family of God. And this is what Paul is concerned about in this letter, that the false gospel that's being presented is going to destroy that. And so he starts with three words about sexual sins. Now, Most scholars believe that although this could be part of what's occurring there, that it's not the the main focus of what Paul's talking about, except that sexual sin is one of the most divisive of sins. It destroys marriages. It destroys lives. In our own culture today, we see the use of pornography as an expression of dehumanization of people into objects where a person exists only for the entertainment and self-gratification of another person. And so it creates division where we begin to see people not even as people, but as objects. And I will say that although it is statistics show that this is occurring across all genders and gender identifications, it has historically been, and I think is still, very damaging in the relationships between men and women as men continually dehumanize women into objects. And, uh, and it's just not okay. And we see in the fruits of the Spirit things like self-control, right, gentleness, right, so this is just a, a shout out to anyone who's, who's, who's struggling with this, that you're, you're in a power struggle, um, and, uh, and you need to get out of it. Um, all that to say, sexual sin is super destructive. Uh, he then moves on to include idolatry and witchcraft, um, and these are two terms that I don't typically deal with much in my everyday life, um, but especially in the way Paul's thinking about them, but they are systems of worship and belief that are used to manipulate people. Right? Witchcraft at the time was used to try to get people to do things. Right? I'm gonna make someone love me. I'm gonna make this person give me this deal. Right? And idolatry is used in a similar way. So even if they're not part of the issue in Galatia specifically, they're still power and uh, they're power-oriented and, and used to manipulate and control. Now, the next eight are the ones that, um, and I'll read these ones out, they're the ones that most scholars see as being representative of the actual things that are happening in Galatia. Um, and they, they see this partly because of how they correspond to the list of the fruits of the Spirit, which we'll get to in just a second. But these ones are hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And they're all relationally based. They have some separating and destroying characteristics in them. And that these are most likely the characteristics of the factions that are developing in Galatia. And Paul says that this life is not the life of the kingdom of God. That 
life this way does not facilitate inheriting the kingdom of God. That this list dissolves God and dehumanizes people and destroys creation. That this is not faith expressed in love. This is not life in the spirit. But then he moves on um, and he's gonna talk about the fruit of the spirit then. And he starts with love. That love is the key. That all the other things get mentioned in this list are really based off of the opening one of love. But their joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the things I find interesting in this list is that all the words used here in the Greek are all words that, again, much like the list before it, are words of relationship. So it's not just self-control as self-control. It's self-control as it impacts another. It's not just goodness as, as goodness on its own, but it's goodness and how that impacts others. And so both of these lists are used in the context of community. And so then Paul wraps this up with this interesting and ironic statement about the law. He says, um, there's no law against these things. It's basically, if you want the law, you're not going to find it here because these things are all good. When good is being done, there is no need for a law, that the part of the purpose of the law was, remember, to be that guardrail, that babysitter, to bring us back on track when we got off. If we're doing good, there's no law that's necessary. And then he really finishes by saying that um, in, this, um, in this phase, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, Let's keep in step with the Spirit and not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And uh, scholars think that those last three are a tie back in again. These are the things that, that Paul is dealing with in the Galatian church. And his response is, live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And so we can see now that this whole letter really is about the unity in the church. But not unity in a disconnected theological sense. This is unity in a very getting our hands dirty, immersed in the messiness of everyday human life. And that the way to navigate that is to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. Because every community generates its own dynamics, some of them deeply healthy and some of them deeply unhealthy. Some that produce social and cultural barriers and competition in the light of what an individual community holds as worthy and some work as open doors. But this is also true globally. So we moved into a more globally aware time and we see the divisions that keep humanity from knowing what it means to be human, to be completely and fully human, to realize what we were created for, to be able to love in a way that unites people. And for Paul, all this meant that this new humanity was a reality that not only could happen, but it does and can happen. And that as we discover Christ in us, we can be a new humanity. That there's actually a different way to be human and it works against all the works of the flesh and the old world that would try to separate and destroy people. Scholar N.T. Wright says of this section, he says, Rather, the point of Paul's sharp warnings, the sharpest of which occurs in uh, chapter five, is to clear the round for the genuine new humanity to emerge, 
The human community which the crucified and risen Messiah is not only honored by imitation but personally present in the form of his own spirit. And the thing I wanna add to that, that the reason why I had the story of Paul at the beginning is because we see this in Paul lived out. We see in Paul someone who is advanced in being a Pharisee, which would have meant these, these other people who've come in and, and they want people to obey the Torah. Paul would have been able to school them on what it meant to follow the Torah. He would have known more than any of them about keeping the law. He was at the point where he was persecuting Jesus' followers. And then not only does Paul become a follower of Jesus, but he's been so transformed that he now goes to places where there were two walls for him to break through. The first was, again, with the Jesus followers. This is a group who was, in his mind and in his heart and his worldview, was so working against God that they needed to be arrested, tortured, and killed. And then the Gentiles. As a Pharisee, as a Jewish person, you could not associate with Gentiles lest you become unclean also. And so certainly for a Pharisee, a religious leader, there would be no way. And then we see Paul being given the title apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's the one who sticks up for them, who speaks out for them, who stands in for them when they're being looked at as less, but also I think more importantly eats with them. And doesn't see it as like, oh, it's so good that you get to be with me. We live in a time when so many of us are bent on getting what is ours. What we believe we've earned, what we think we deserve, even what we've worked so hard to get. And Paul and Jesus say to those of us that have power that we're to give it up so that others can flourish. I look around at our country and I can see so many places of division, so many walls, so many shut doors, so many people destroying each other. And I can see that in the church too. But I also see something else. And I hear the voice of Paul and I hope you can too that says, if you're following Christ, you've been set free. Do not let your freedom Be a moment to indulge the sinful desires for you've been freed so that you can have faith expressed in love. This is what our world needs and what the church needs. A new humanity that can show something different to the world. Can we be that? Will we be that? As always, I have a handful of questions I want to answer. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Um, I'll read through the questions, then I'll pray, and then we'll have the worship team will lead us in a moment of reflection, and then we'll have a closing song and a benediction. If you want to respond to these uh, on your digital connection card, that's an awesome way. You can come and talk to us. You can email us. You can text us. You can, however you want to communicate. We do believe these questions um, help us gain a sense of how the Spirit is moving in our church um, because we believe it's a priesthood of believers and that you all have a voice. And so um, please take time, if you will, to answer these. Um, Uh, The first few um, roll out of this idea that um, each of us lives in our own context where we have generated our own systems, some of which are healthy and some of which are not. But in your own context, work, school, family, neighbors, friends, church, the gym, grocery stores, wherever you are, what would you say the dividing walls are? Where do you see those?
Second, what are the dividing walls uh, at One Life Community Church? What are the dividing walls that you see here in the things we do, our practices, the things we say, anything where you see those walls? Please, please let us know. Third, what are the dividing walls in your city, country, globally? And then fourth, how have you played a part in building and maintaining those walls? And how could you slash are you working to tear those walls down as you participate with Jesus in his work of reconciling all people to himself into a new humanity? Um, and and if, you, uh, if you haven't been part of building and maintaining the wall, those walls, please don't take that first question as an assumption that every single person is. Um, it's just the way the question came out, so I apologize if that uh, rolled that way. Uh, but if you have been, then, then please answer that. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll have a time of reflection and uh, closing song. Um, God, I, uh, I confess that you are good. Um, and in your goodness, we, we all somehow fall short. But we also read about your grace. God, that you, Jesus, gave up your position, your wealth, your status, all this stuff, so that those who did not have could. And I pray that for those of us that have, we would, like Paul, have a vision for something different. He would help us to clearly see in our spaces where the walls are and that we would, with the same kind of uh, love that Paul had, be moved to go and tear the walls down and participate with you in healing, participate with you in, in, in expressing that new humanity And God, I just, as we are coming out of a time, maybe going back into a time um, of all kinds of different thoughts about uh, the pandemic and masks and vaccinations and all these things, and there's accusations flying all over. I just see people destroying each other. Um, so Jesus, I pray for all of us. We would find the ways that we can communicate um, that will bring healing, that will bring truth into the conversation where we can hear truth when we're not speaking it. Um, yeah, Lord, we just, we just cry out that we need your help uh, in this time, but that we're hopeful for a new humanity that can exist and love well uh, in a new way. So Jesus, thank you, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you bring that to us. Uh, may it be present in our everyday lives. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.